Nano DNA. In honor of Jurassic World Dominion, what's the worst place to find a surprise dinosaur? I'm Katie Rich, and I don't know why my first thought was the mall, but I stand by it. Don't want a surprise dinosaur at the mall. I'm Matt Patches, and I've been watching Prehistoric Planet, that Apple TV Ooh, uh, nature documentary full of dinosaurs, which has been showing me dinosaurs in all sorts of places. So my answer is my butt. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, I'm David the Seven, and uh, I'm going to go with the ocean. I still don't know for sure that they're not in there right now, so I don't I don't swim in the ocean. Mm-hmm. And David's so scared of dinosaurs, he isn't even here. Ah, he scared him Lame. off. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine, too, eh? Good, then. Well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine, then, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's, it's awesome. Podcast. Hello, and welcome to Fighting in the War Room. It is episode 395. It's pandemic 116. It is the week of Wednesday, May 8th. That is the day that in 1912, Paramount Pictures was founded. Hey. Good anniversary. And a uh, month after this... Wait, 110, it's 110 it's, it's years later, I was on the payola. As, uh, uh, that's true. They of. sent you that shoe. I want to be clear <laughs> that it's a Wednesday, June 8th. You have not stepped through a wormhole. It is June. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. Uh, which is Ugh. why uh, we've been talking about dinosaurs and Jurassic World, because Jurassic Park movies don't come out in May. Everybody knows that. Yeah, June 8th. I can Firmly correct June. that now. Otherwise, I'll forget about it next week. Cool. All the dinosaurs uh, are Gemini. <laughs> That's right. Power to the Gemini's. Power to me and Matt Patches and our June birthdays. Um, David's not here, as we established, so I'm going to ask Dave. Dave, do we have any reviews? Yeah, we do. We have one that was well. We don't have any in our uh, iTunes, our American iTunes, which is sad because we would we would Ooh. like it there. Uh, but we did get one international review from uh, Canada. And that uh, the subject of that email, you could email us your international reviews at fitwr.podcast.gmail.com. This one comes from <clears throat> Andrew. It says, Canadian listener here. Oh, sorry. Five stars. Good hangout vibes. Nice. Uh, Canadian listener here. Genuinely sorry about the Freedom Convoy. No problem, Andrew. Great show. <laughs> came for Ehrlich. Stayed for the fun. Casual movie chat and rad song clips. Not really a question to ask, but I saw both Doctor Strange 2 and Top Gun 2 on their opening weekends. And my Doctor Strange crowd was completely silent, and my Top Gun crowd was off the goddamn wall. It just seems weird that the movie that no one reacted to in the slightest has made so much money. Ah, well, I'm going to go watch Tom Cruise reach Mach 10 again. From Andrew, Galaxy of Heroes, Brimstone. I did see someone suggest that it's weird that Doctor Strange is the highest grossing movie of the year because uh, it doesn't seem to have a legacy, which, like, I guess is true, but I don't know. The fact that it's a Marvel movie seems to make, make that perfect sense. The movie doesn't yeah, have no. a legacy. Is that what you okay, said? Legacy is, legacy is the wrong word. That like it already feels like it didn't happen. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a couple of things with that. First of all, we'll see. I mean, it's already going to get trounced by Top Gun Maverick. Yeah. But if if the amount of weeks that were out were somewhat similar, I feel like that comparison would make slightly more sense. I don't know how to deal with the uh, the the audience loudness thing. Maybe it's like like Top Gun Maverick. We knew that was coming for years of pandemics. And oh, Matt then, Patches knew it was coming. And Matt Patches knew it was <laughs> coming for a decade. Uh, but uh, I feel like 
Doctor Strange is and by the nature of the fact that on the 22nd it's going to be on Disney Plus streaming which is only like a 46 day window huh, that uh, is short. it's just the next thing it's just the next thing we, we, we all went and saw the next thing in theaters mm-hmm. I don't think uh, we're going to remem- remember it like uh, people remember Top Gun Maverick but we'll see yeah it's like an episode of Game of Thrones or something it's like we all tuned in we all talked about it for a week and now we're waiting for Thor Love and Thunder and Gore the God Butcher. Well, I'm that's just in theaters. Otherwise, right is there a movie called have... Gore the God Butcher? Or are you saying that's someone who's in the Thor movie? <laughs> no, Christian Bale is playing Gore the God Butcher, of course, Katie. I would be really upset if there was a movie with that title coming. I didn't know about it. The fact Not that to be Thor confused uh, with Gore the God Marketer or something, his son. You know, uh, with Al jobs. Gore, the vice president <laughs> of America. Yes, that's right. <laughs> Well, don't worry if you like Marvel things. Uh, today, the the day you're hearing this episode, Miss Marvel yeah. has begun on Disney Plus. So the gap's already over. We're 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 more rolling. Marvel stuff. Anyway, you should leave us a review in the US iTunes. You can send us your international reviews, fitwr.podcast at gmail.com. Or don't do any of those things because I've been doing Galaxy of Heroes stuff and I'd love to tell you about it. No. Don't, don't don't let him tell you anything about it. Spare us. You the cooling man, you send you up. Reason cooling, nine to nine two zero. All right. Uh, guys, I hear there's some expensive television out there right now. It's actually funny. We said we want to talk about cinematic television, and we already talked about Stranger Things, which costs, what, like $30 million an episode, is what mm-hmm. we said last week. Uh, but then right out there also is Obi-Wan, which um, looks like a Star War, which means that it looks expensive. Um, Does I have not it watched... look like a Star War? This is well, the big question. This is the... The, I was yeah. just about to confess I have not seen any of it, so I was going to let you tell me. Does it look like a Star War enough to justify whatever it costs? Well... Yes, and I think this is an interesting question. And for you looking from the outside in, if you watched an Obi-Wan trailer or something. Yes, I have I watched an Obi-Wan probably, trailer. It would probably look like a Star War. Um, but what has I been I've been rattled by the Obi-Wan Kenobi television show because it has clarified to me what is movie and what is television. And uh, before the podcast, I was telling both of you. I feel like this is a conversation that the the pop culture community has been having since Breaking Bad and Mad Men and Game of mm-hmm. Thrones and all these shows were erupting. It's like, wow, the difference between movies and television is like that line is is gone. You can make anything now. Anything could be television um, and it will look like a movie. And Obi-Wan has been the most clarifying moment for me to be like, that's that's wrong. Like that is just Ooh. incorrect logic because Obi-Wan Kenobi we have now seen Ewan, McGregor, Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan in actual movies. We've seen George Lucas's prequel trilogy, and we have seen him in the Disney Plus version of this performance, trying to emulate a Star Wars movie, but in episodic form. And I will tell you, there is a staggering difference between what you can accomplish on a TV timeline. And I think it's a timeline question rather than a 
like the power of ILM to create movie level effects. I think that is where the line has been broken. You can do anything now that they've invented that stagecraft, uh, super like high res screen that they could put behind anyone and make them look like they're on Tatooine. Like the effects are not the problem here. What's interesting about Obi-Wan Kenobi is that in bringing back Ewan McGregor and created taking a script that was definitely uh, a movie script. You know, this has gone through development for years and years and years. And I believe actually, uh, Dave, you might know this better than me, who was like behind the, the script here. Um, I'm looking up, I'm trying to look up the names of the people who were working. Oh, on like the original first. script. Yeah. The original script, people get credited in the, for the first episode. I'm, ah, I'm looking. Okay. It's uh Hasina Mini and Stuart Beatty are actually credited for the teleplay of the first of part one, along with the showrunner, Joby Harold. And that's because Obi-Wan was developed as a movie script to be yeah. made as a movie. Uh, um, remember those? They were two hours long and they told a succinct story in a certain amount of time with a particular arc. Um, now Obi-Wan Kenobi Obi lasts here. many episodes. Yeah, I'm, I'm fucking Logan here. I'm just like over life and I'm ripping, ripping throats. Um, but uh, this this. Old, old movie script has been transformed into an episodic series and what's staggering is it's being made like television they hired this woman deborah chow who has made many good television she's shot many good episodes of television as i have mentioned on the podcast a few weeks ago i've been plowing through better call saul and that has colliding with obi-wan kenobi the the act of watching obi-wan kenobi and also marathoning better call saul this is where my revelations have come from because mm. deborah chow has shot Better Call Saul, which is a show that really goes to great lengths to be like, we're going to pick angles. We're going to have cinematic moments. We're going to defy television logic right in line with Breaking Bad. We're going to create cinematic moments uh, on whatever timeline and budget that we make our TV in. Whereas How are most you finding television, television like, logic here? What does television logic question. mean? So and then Deborah Chow to make Obi-Wan Kenobi is shooting television, shooting this movie like it's like it's an NCIS episode. It is very weird to see a Star Wars installment reduced to coverage. I'm going to get a little technical here, I guess, but I'm trying to keep it in layman's terms where if you watch Obi-Wan Kenobi, it's like shoot to this person's angle, shoot to the other person's angle, do a little handheld camera work here, get your establishing shot and like call it a day because we have so much script to plow through in the same timeline as you'd make a George Lucas movie where every single mm. frame is exactly what he intends it to be, whether you like it or not. You know, the prequels up for debate. Attack of the Clones, horrible movie. Um, Revenge of the Sith, definitely a Rothko painting. Go back and watch it. But um, wow, you're just really yeah, just these throwing are, out Star Wars hot takes and running away from them. I My am. God. Well, this is this is this is this is in the annals of, of Star Wars history that Revenge of the Sith is all, is all Rothko. But, uh, uh, you know, those are immaculate. Those are precision. Everything is storyboarded. Everything is exactly what Lucas wanted. And you don't get that sense on Obi-Wan. You really feel like you're watching coverage. I mean, there's a clip that's gone viral from the second episode where there's this chase scene where there's just like the clumsiest handheld you've ever seen. There's like it feels like there's like a missing part of the set piece. It's like they ran into the camera and they forgot to like cut to another part. It's the strangest thing to see television, to see like an NCIS style Star Wars with characters we've seen in the more pristine way. And yeah, and juxtaposed with my experience of watching Better Call Saul, uh, I, I'm just like, 
Deborah Chow has done great television and great cinematic storytelling. And this is not it. And it's just it's very clarifying to see how most television is made, which is shoot this angle, shoot this over the shoulder shot and get it all done. Like time is the greatest unspoken asset of the movies and television we watch and the shows that get more time or at least broker their time to create priorities like a better call. Saul. I don't know what better call Saul costs or how much time they get to shoot any one episode, but they maximize it. They really want it to be inventive. This is not these star Wars television shows, even the Mandalorian, which looks pretty good. Um, I'm not sure Boba Fett got the same, <laughs> got everything. The Mandalorian season one got to be the greatest Ooh. television show ever. But, um, you know, I think these shows are being done in a, in a TV fashion. They are not meant to be huge. They're not Game of Thrones. And it's funny to hear Stranger Things try and be strange. You know, we talked a little about what $30 million buys you on Stranger Things, but like it's not time, it seems like. Dave, am I crazy? Is Obi-Wan <laughs> failing? I mean, it's it's kind of failing on a storytelling level for me too. I hate, oh, Katie, there's a precocious Leia. I'm, I'm spoiled. No. Right, there is a no, child Leia. She's that. a precocious little child and she's talking constantly um aside from even that i just cannot get over how like when darth vader and obi-wan meet again for the first time in 10 years or whatever they have a a, a battle that is like i don't know shot like an episode of of an old tv western but in a bad way like just <laughs> clumsy it's not, but it's not evocative of that, that era, Dave. Dave's throwing up his hand. I'm going to let him talk in a second, but like, there's no drama. There's no staging. It's not cinematic. It's very weird. You just looked at the one of the most expensive TV shows ever, and you're like, but it is still TV, which you are absolutely right, Patches. It's still TV. And, and it's, it's shot, in, like, the reason it's still TV is because the time period to expand to what you're talking about got kneecapped by fucking COVID. And you have all these people who grew up pre-digital age that know how to shoot a TV show in 31st square foot of space with two cameras. And that's where their talent is. And that's where everything's coming up to. I don't think we've, you know, I don't think it's trying to be a movie on TV. I think uh, if it was, we would have, you know, uh, circle wipes and spaceship establishing shots and things that are missing that were the language of cinematic Star Wars but are not in this series very specifically. I think the most that it's reaching to try to be like the movies is obviously it has the stars and it's previously on was and the wars. fucking movies. <laughs> oh, and the wars. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, and John Williams most importantly. That's like the biggest tether at this point because and this was the thing that was worrying me about Obi-Wan since I heard about what it was actually about like six months ago, they have trapped themselves in this period of Star Wars storytelling where they're like, canon is important. Moments are important. Nobody's looking for a singular product that's cool anymore because it's hard to make a Star Wars product that is both a legacy product and is cool. Star um, Wars so product is a phrase bums me out. Yeah, that's say. what it is. Until we have Taika Waititi's movie or whatever, it's like everybody has been roped in from J.J. Abrams all the way down. That's what we said about making, Solo, too. Yeah, to making more product. I just, well, every time there's a new movie coming out, there's another chance to break that, but they haven't yet. And the TV shows seem to be pulling from the same stable of people. Deborah Chow directed episodes of The Mandalorian. 
and is part of the Favreau Filoni brain trust that is pushing the television shows in the same direction. But part of what happens when you do that is you have people committing to the stagecraft, the volume, the visual effects yeah. of what Star Wars is now. And what that means is Obi-Wan's going to run off screen right to the end of the volume. They're going to switch the camera angle and then he runs screen left coming on screen uh, from the exact same place and all that shifted physically is pixels in the background. And that's going to look a certain way. And I think they're actually the Obi-Wan's boringly shot because of that. I don't think it's time constrained necessarily. Uh, but, but it's I think not it's good. Boring. I mean, whatever the case is, I, I mean, my my time theory is simply a theory. I don't know what the schedule was. I just know that, you know, I think of of every movie that Francis Ford Coppola has made. Why is Apocalypse Now great? Why is The Godfather great? It's because of time. It's it's because you're allowed to set up every shot and light every shot, and it's allowed to be cinematic. Why are David Fincher movies immaculate and amazing? Because he goes above and beyond. And why does Mindhunter actually come closest to like? Oh wow, this is cinema on as television. Um, it's because he was given that that same latitude by Netflix to just com- be completely indulgent in in the schedule and, and, and how much he's allowed to shoot. Uh, the, I, yeah, that's what my only touch. Isn't Mindhunter just? Isn't Mindhunter them just saying, "Could you make a series that looks like House of Cards again?" And he's like, "Okay, what about the serial killer thing?" I mean, that's, like I get what you're. The assignment is fair, cut, but uh, it worked. Everything's cut down by TV. If they were like, "We want of this course. to look." like George Lucas shot it, they could. And you're right that this this project, um, from my understanding, and don't put me on fucking Reddit or anything, uh, <laughs> there were three things that were included in the original, four things that were included in the original Disney Lucasfilm purchase. One is they were going to do a new trilogy. Two is they were going to do some movie that had something to do with Yoda that did not uh, pan out. Three was a young Obi-Wan movie, and four was a Boba Fett movie. And really what they did is they took all those things and shunted them into Disney Plus because we got the young Yoda, we got the Obi-Wan Kenobi, and we got the Boba Fett series. So we're still running off the gas of the deal that is like sure, almost 10 years old. but this is not my... I mean, that is a second issue. You know, like continuing to mine the Skywalker saga is plaguing the Obi-Wan Kenobi show. I, I in a way, I, I do think there's like a slim, fun version. I want to see the Obi-Wan Kenobi movie that this has been bloated out from on some level. Like I love Ewan McGregor in this role, and this has a lot of potential for him to go sleuthing. Um, I don't know why this show is such a mess. It seems like it was, I mean, based on production stories, kind of rewritten on the fly, and, and they had a lot of problems, and that's unfortunate. But well, did I, you did Go. Did you ever see the test footage for Star Wars Underworld, the series oh, I that did. Lucas wanted to make in the 90s? And that sounds cool. Uh, I mean, a lot of the original ideas that would have been on television, and I've also manifested in the in the animated series. Like, there's good ways to do Star Wars on television, no doubt. The animation, Clone Wars, Rebels, like, there's proof. That's proof concept of, of, of doing Star Wars as television. It's a good saga to put on TV. I'm really, I think there's two issues here. One that this script is a bit of a mess. But two, when we have seen Star Wars live action as movies, when we've, and I'll extend this to Marvel, like the Marvel TV stuff has mostly flamed out for me the, every time. I have really not enjoyed any of the Marvel shows beginning to end. Um, and I think the reason is they all have interest, the Marvel shows all have an interesting starting place. I want to know like, who are the new characters or what are the new setups? But, at the end of the day, they feel like 
suffocated television because they are trying to reach for movie level ambition, but cannot actually execute that on TV. And I know what a Marvel movie looks like. And I know what a Star Wars movie looks like when given the time to just focus on two hours and make something that kicks ass like this. These movies or these television shows that are trying to emulate movies and using characters and stories that have existed as movies, they will always come short. And that's why I think actual cinematic television, like A Better Call Saul, it has a two, two-pronged win, which is it's being shot in an innovative way. It can create its own style from beginning to end on TV within the confines of television. And then also it's divorced from, we'll never see it as a movie. We will never know what like spending only two hours to tell the Better Call Saul movie would look like. And that's they made a Breaking Bad movie. benefit. Like, yeah, they yeah, did make a Breaking stunk Bad because it looks like television. Yeah. Don't don't let them erase that from your memory. They made that movie. Uh, I, I will, am, who can I mean, forget I, El Camino, I, a Breaking Bad story. Everyone, not I. I get what you're saying, but like I'm not mad at it in any sort of way because like go watch a show from 1999. Now go watch a show from 1989. Now go watch a show from 2008. They all look horrible compared to what we do on TV now. That's the arc of TV. Is it to movies yet? No, but will it ever get to movies? Hard to debate, especially if you're doing stuff like putting $30 million into an episode of television that is two and a half hours long and it still feels like an episode of television. I think well. the things that we I think the things that we hook onto as cinem- inherently cinematic are things that are based around a storytelling format of an hour and 20 minutes. Because you have to hit hard with character, you have to hit hard with visuals, you have to hit hard with climax, because you have to be in and out. The problem with doing television and trying to emulate that is, is there's always something where it's like, this is a six hour movie, so don't judge it till it's over or blah, blah, blah. Or there's no reaction between the production and a fan base, which is what makes TV series better, which is what allowed Mm -hmm. The Mandalorian to grow its story in season two. And you know why The Mandalorian has succeeded more? Uh, I was was just thinking about this in terms of Lost, a show that you have studied to great lengths on a different podcast. Go listen to it. it's that like there's no there's no TV DNA in Obi-Wan. They can't do a bottle episode. They can't make television. They can't tell television stories. They can only tell episodes, chapters of this big, long story. They can't. And this is what Better Call Saul does. It's what Lost does. It's what Game of Thrones does, which is like in this episode, we're going to start on something tiny and we're going to play with the format. Or we're going to play with how we visually tell this story. Like you can innovate within television to upend expectations none of these marvel and star wars shows have been able to do that which i find fascinating and or similarly like cowboy bebop even felt indebted to the anime in such a way that like even as it's true the whole mo is to be creative uh, about sound and about visuals and totally off the wall and like and it can't it can't become its own thing it can't find tiny ways to be television um yeah, and I'm losing my mind. Obi-Wan is the end of this for me. I'm just like fizzled out. I'm, I'm I don't know. I'm succumbing to the, the dark end side. of television. The, this is the end of television is what I'm saying. Reasonable. I'm enjoying Obi-Wan. We're halfway we'll through. Yeah, maybe the yeah, end will be great. The, the back half. I can't I can't tell you enough how much I love you and McGregor and I love Star Wars and I love him as Obi-Wan. It just sucks. I'm so is him fascinated. being an old Obi Wan, a ben- older Obi Wan, a benefit to the show? No, because he's not doing force powers. Oh, okay. Yet, lame. 
he's in he's in sad uh the last jedi luke mode and you could imagine how that's gone over with the fandom so far katie so oh there that, are a lot of patches out there reasonable uh there's more patches who are hating the series than there are me <laughs> who are into the series let's not equate me with the toxic star wars fandom in a, right right Right. Why are you tweeting death threats at Luke at uh, Luke Hamill at Mark Hamill patches yeah, at Luke Hamill? Luke Stop Hamill. calling him Luke Hamill Luke patches. Hamill. It's, been, it's not funny anymore. <laughs> yeah, Obi Wan, check it out. Uh, you could uh, get in, get or don't. You could get in this argument yourself uh, because you probably have Disney Plus. We've been pandering to you this entire thing, talking about Disney Plus things. But don't worry, we'll do something else. We're about to talk about something bit. on Hulu. Hey. All right, on tonight's mini segment, Katie has asked me yet again if I have any dumb questions. Um, you she always can't get have enough dumb, dumb questions. questions. It's a reoccurring segment. You can't get enough dumb on, questions. You're still on parental leave, and your mind is free to roam. <laughs> we we've got a whole like re- 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 listener review being like, "Enough of this, please stop." And yet we persist. <laughs> we persist, and with the dumb questions. Um, I did have a thought, and this might turn into more of a rant. But I'm gonna. I talked a lot during Obi Wan, so I'm gonna try and pass the baton here as quickly as possible. Um, and this might sound provocative and I want, so I, I need to make my case here. Um, I got a letter in the mail and my energy company or another energy company is, I mean, you guys probably had this too. We had it back in Brooklyn and now I'm in Jersey and, and I have this option too. I could get like clean energy. Do you guys get mm. offered this? Like, Hey, if you sign up for this thing, you can pay more to get clean energy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you guys get this offer at all? Is this a thing? Um, no, I don't know I, if I've uh, got it here. I remember it from New York, though. Okay, yeah. yeah we we could always sign up at, like, if you were out in the park, you could randomly sign up for green energy or some shit, yeah. and your apartment would magically become imbued with green energy that was good for the environment. Okay, yep. so I have this option in New Jersey, too. Now, as I mentioned, it costs more. It co- For this magic, clean energy, it do- you have to pay more in your bill. And they explain it. Like, that's just the price of being good for the earth. Um, and your energy company does is a pollutant, uh, I guess, on some level. Now, it, you're not pay. You don't want polluting. Yeah, of course, energy, your energy right? company is a pollutant. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Burn coal to make your electricity and okay. price gougers too. Yes. Yes. Sure. We all know this is. We have created a bad system for ourselves here in sure America have. and probably all over the world. Now, here's my question to you. We, I, I am a lifelong recycler. I believe in reuse, renew, recycle, whatever the, those three R's were. Recycle, reduce, um, renew. I feel a great existential dread when it comes to climate change. I have donated to things and uh, to organizations that are trying to push climate legislation. I am. I want to see us live in a better world. Um, I have not taken up any, I have not figured out how to get like solar panels installed in my house. Uh, I just have not been able to take that step yet with home ownership. I do not own an electric car. I just has not been feasible because I need to drive greater lengths than an electric car would allow me to do. Maybe if I get a second car, I would probably get an electric car. But um, as far as being a good citizen of the earth, trying to save the earth, um, 
I feel like I do everything that I can. Now, I when offered clean energy for more money, I am I'm put in a very precarious position, I think. I don't have all the money in the world. I am not a rich man. Um, I'm an entertainment journalist for crazy. No, 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 and I'm, no, no, and no, 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 what what am I to do? Like, I, I feel kind of an anger here that people are coming to me. So I'm kind of in a weird position because I, I feel like I'm being asked to do something. And I was getting frustrated in like a parallel track here earlier this month after all these shootings and feeling horrible and seeing politicians go on Twitter mm-hmm. and be like, we have to do something. We have to do something. No, guys, you have to do something. Mm-hmm. I elected you guys. I can't do shit. I am a one man. I have yeah. no power and I am not, I cannot do anything. And when when people are coming to me and be like, pay more to get clean energy in your house, I, my reaction is like, I want this. But I am not going to pay more for clean energy, I don't think, because what can I do? What can my ch- flipping the switch on my home possibly do? You know what they should do? They should actually they should actually force my energy company to stop polluting. Well, am mm-hmm. I crazy? Am I losing my damn how, how, how? OK, wait, wait. No, no, no. no. Walk me through this. Uh, so you have a giant energy company that provides energy to your home. How do you <laughs> get them to stop polluting? logically how, how do it, we get the i mean all i could do is go like i should be spending my m- time and money going on a rampage against politicians in new jersey and the energy company i should become a one-man army and not wasting my time actually doing these like fake energy resaving exercises and or like mm-hmm. when people keep saying stop eating meat because that would lower the that would save energy or something like it, abs- why it, it absolutely on- would why is it on my shoulders? Why is it? Why am I what? Like, can we have a movement here? Like, what should I really be doing? Well, That's the, my question. Maybe two things. I want you first, to convince me that of, I should maybe do all of these little incremental save the world measures. Uh, I'm open to this. My heart is open to anything. Yeah. So uh, the the fact that you said you were a lifelong recycler, that's actually where this mentality problem starts. Ooh. Because <clears throat> uh, all the companies decided to switch to single-use plastics, uh, which are absolutely worse for the environment and harder to recycle. And their offset for it was, we know it's bad, but we're going to teach people to recycle. So essentially shunting it from the corporate responsibility level down to the personal level. And just like with your electricity, if one person decides they're going to recycle, if another person doesn't decide right. they're going to recycle, is ultimately a zero-sum total. Uh, so... You could take this and apply this to any issue, which is why I am constantly having trouble uh, talking about things uh, that I don't find fun, but are also (laughs) entertainment is because we all three of us, we are wasting time with the gigantic platform we have. Maybe people don't want to talk to, you know, about like movies or what don't want to hear us talk about things besides movies. And so we'd have less of a platform. That's fine. But yeah. If you wanted to do something like single-handedly get your, you know, ener- your energy company to go green, you would have to dedicate the rest of your life to that and all right. those resources, including the extra money that you don't want to pay to get cleaner energy. Or let's say you just wanted to get off the grid immediately, not make it your problem. Holy shit! Uh, be- if 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 the company owns enough of your town, they could make it illegal for you to draw enough to live from solar panels on top of your house. Uh, that you actually need to survive. So the company can actually work against you as an individual. 
it does need to be collective, but what you're doing when you're paying extra money for green energy is you're becoming part of a statistic that whoever is out there actually fighting this fight can point and say, look how important it is to people. They are willing to pay more just to get off of your fucking polluting company. And that's, in a way, something we can okay, do. Okay, that's fair. So, but, so, for instance, like I was reading... New York Times published an article this week that was saying, hey, everybody wants uh, everyone on Twitter wants gun laws and and gun reform change. But actually, if you poll people in California or something, most people don't want gun reform. And it's like, oh, because they're filling out the wrong surveys or they're not like reporting data. So now people are being swayed by numbers uh, of inaction. Right, exactly. And uh, the reality is because of that, uh, smokescreen that's gone up plus the uh complete over-reliance on people's individual opinions and rights also bleeding into an individual's responsibility in a society we're at a place where i can't tell you no matter how bad gun violence is that this isn't necessarily what the majority of people are comfortable with like i i have a whole bunch of people i could talk to that's like you know maybe assault weapons are bad or maybe you know whatever but i have other people that are like yeah, i need to go to the you know i'm a realtor who sells mountain homes and why shouldn't I be allowed to have a handgun with me in case that's where someone decides to, you know, kidnap and kill me. And Whoa. like, those are all, I, I, I genuinely don't know. Like if democracy works like it's supposed to, and let's give it the benefit of the doubt that maybe it's I working. Try. I want, this to. is what we, this is, this is what we want. This is what we've shown throughout voting throughout stuff since we failed to, renew the assault weapons ban in 2004 which we could have just Woof. done this is this is what we want and it's like that with climate change like we didn't fix it in the 90s so this is what we get every two years there's a new report that's like we have five years left we have three years left we have two years left i think is the newest one we, we're not changing anything so it's all about creating that uh big groundswell that forces corporations to change because the reality is we're going to keep feeling bad about ourselves for not being able to change things that we don't have the power to change. And that's like the mind prison we're in. So I would, uh, if, you know, we could be fucked up by uh, the Supreme Court deciding that money is actually speech in certain political things, that's what you're doing by paying more for green energy. You're saying, I'm not going to join... It's an act of protest. Yeah, I'm not going to join the committee that meets on every Tuesday because, you know, that's going to be impinging on my schedule. I'm still going to have a gas car because the reality is I need to drive distances. And I just told people I wasn't going to do it. They'd fire me. Those are all perfect realities, but you could offset those by costing yourself money. That is a pretty damn I good love case. It. That's a pretty good case. Katie, do I mean, they the recycle in South Carolina where your parents are, like where you grew yeah. up? You got, did you Although grow up a recycler? Glass, yeah, but yeah, but glass recycling has kind of disappeared. Like my understanding of recycling is that a lot of us is us putting things in a bin to make ourselves feel better, but doesn't actually do anything, which is not what your green energy utility bill is. That's you actually like putting money towards something that is like I a don't pretty know. minor inconvenience to you, I think. Um, but drawing off of a green grid, which I think is a, a real thing that more so than recycling much of the time. Yeah, it's 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 in this where capitalism has been wrapped up in democracy this tightly. It's costing you money, but that's also a place that you're exerting your speech. Mm -hmm. So I would try to make the best of that. I love having hamburgers. I am trying not to eat beef when I'm in my house anymore. Like I'm going to try to go out for that or whatnot, because 
you're whoever told you was absolutely right. I if know. We all stopped eating beef. I know. If we all stopped eating beef and we all clamped down on that thing, that's something that like an individual person could do. But we need to do it in mass. That, that's that's the thing. We need around. to do it in mass, right? Like unless the culture yeah. completely shifts, then one person doing it is but, not. But also, like you doing it might make your neighbor do it. Might make someone else I do know. it. Like these, you are these now things, describing like, small attitude shifts. Yes. do add up over time. They, and not in, just like they a, do in elementary like school and we directly... try and pet people up, yes. But no, in reality... But I, think that, I think the idea of eating less meat being better for the environment, like that has slowly like dawned on more and more people. Like I also still eat beef, but like I do consciously try to eat less of it. And I think that's something that's happened with more and more people saying, I am not eating meat for the environment. Like I think it, the way that, lo- that we think about things in a broader sense can change slowly over time and it can start with smaller action. I, I need to get one of those Chick-fil-A billboards that has a cow holding a sign that says eat more chicken on it and put chicken. it in my yeah, front lawn. Oh, yeah. Then you're in the Chick-fil-A racket. Well, it doesn't you know, necessarily have to that. point yeah. to Chick-fil-A. It could just be a pro chicken message. Pro chicken there's message. A, there's this thing that was also instilled <laughs> in us also the around, around recycling, but I think it's just instilled in it was instilled in a lot of Americans in the early 90s or basically the post-Cold War sort of thing. Like that's where a lot of this sort of uh, we were the best then and our freedoms that we had then need to be established was sort of reestablished for our generation. Because like, I remember thinking like, you know, hippies were dumb and you laughed at them and feminists hated men. And, you know, people who didn't eat meat were like pussies. All of that stuff we've known for decades how to be healthy people. And there's this toxic American personality that is like, isolate those people, try to be better and tell them they're idiots. They're, you know, white liberal San Franciscans who don't know what the fuck they're talking about. They're vegans who are just mad at somebody because they had like an undercooked something. Like, no, fuck it. Those people usually know what they're talking about and we are meant to reject it because it's so outside. But that's the mind cage I was talking about. Anyway, I'm sorry. We're a movie podcast. (laughs) We were. We were. Reuse, recycle. (laughs) So are you going to sign up for the green energy patches? I'm going to pull that out of my uh, trash can right now and, and go sign up. Probably. I'm proud. <laughs> I'm, I'm proud of you. Well, yeah. I mean, or put it into something better, you know, but eco-terrorism. Yeah, I, I would love it. Blow I would love dams. it. Patches. What was that? I, uh, I think it's not a great time. That Kelly Reichardt movie. What was that Kelly Reichardt movie that no one night saw? Night moves. I feel like no people are talking saw. about night moves. Let's veer it back to movies and recommend night moves, which is actually Jesse Eisenberg. Doing a fun little eco-terrorism movie. That movie's good. Yeah. yeah. Griffin you Newman's in that throw, movie. You could have thrown a shoe cake at the Mona Lisa and I would have had infinite respect yeah. for you. Obviously, I'm for, for We were already talking about uh, protests uh, just last week. I forgot about that. This is a heated Mini podcast. protest segment. We're here to talk about Fire Island. It is a movie that is out right now on Hulu and I think on various Disney platforms overseas. Uh, we can always have our overseas listeners tell us what Disney, Disney Star, Star is. Yeah, Disney Star. I've never Disney really, Star Plus. I've never really wrapped my head around this. It is also a Searchlight release. It is directed by Andrew Ahn, who uh, has made some indie films that I have not seen yet. This is the first Spawn of his movies that I've seen. Never saw Spawn Night and Driveways, which people like. 
Um, and written by Joel Kim Booster, who uh, I follow on Twitter. Many people follow on Twitter and uh, is also the star of this movie. Um, I had been told that it was, you know, inspired by Pride and Prejudice. I was not really prepared by how closely it maps the plot of Pride and Prejudice. Like it is about five friends who are kind of call themselves a chosen family and they go to Fire Island for the summer, which uh, maybe people don't know. It is like the historically gay summer vacation spot for men in New York City and nearby. And so they go. And the uh, guy played by Joel Kim Booster is kind of skeptical about romance and is wanting to get his friend played by Bo and Yang. Uh, basically just get him laid, not even find him a boyfriend. And then he meets this guy uh, named Will, I think is his name. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. And he's kind of a jerk at first, but it might be hiding some deeper feelings. Uh, and meanwhile, his friend uh, Howie, played by Bo and Yang, meets this very nice guy. And for kind of various reasons, they can't be together until suddenly they can. Um, but then there's also a lot of like really thoughtful discussions about issues in the gay community, which I now I'm going to try not to sound like an expert on because I'm clearly <laughs> not, but my understanding like, from people who know this world far better than I do, I think ring very true in a lot of ways about like body image and racism and like feeling like you belong in a certain place. And I think that that balance of really frothy rom-com plot and then some of that broader stuff that is not, to to me at least, I don't think is like toned down or in a way to be like, no, 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 straight people, it's okay to watch this. Like it felt like a movie made for people that is like open to people like me who do not know this world, but it's not going to hold our hands in any way, which I really enjoyed. And I enjoyed this movie overall, uh, partly because of it. The straights are here to review Fire Island. Yes, yeah, here we go. Everyone has been dying yeah. for <laughs> Finally, the straights are in. You can listen to me talk about a little gold men with three gay men if you want. Uh, Pride and prejudice adaptations are for everybody, really, aren't they? Well, actually, can we start with Pride and Prejudice? I want to hear, Katie, do you have rever like, do you hold Pride and Prejudice up in in high regard? Have you read the book? Do you revere other uh, adaptations? I've read the book. I love the Joe Wright movie. Like, I know that I had to go go back to the Wikipedia to be like, wait, who's the third sister? Like. Oh, she's a serious one who just reads books all the time. Okay, yeah, that makes sense for that one character in Fire Island who just reads books all the time. Um, so no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm no uh, Pride and Prejudice expert, but I certainly know a Mr. Darcy character in a movie when I see one. Why do you think that that or text this- holds up like so? Much? Why can it be iterated on so many times? I guess that's what I'm. I'm most curious. I have not not read the book, and I'm not super familiar. I have actually not seen the the Joe Wright movie, and I've not seen the Colin Firth. Everybody I went to high school with fucking crushed hard on Colin Firth Firth. in that TV adaptation. I've still have not seen that somehow. Um, Yeah, I don't know why Pride Uh, Prejudice just continues to be a foundational text. Well, it's it's a chick book, Patches. I don't know if you know this. We know men don't read books. So, (laughs) Oh, right. Uh, Should Pride and Prejudice be our book club? Fighting the world for men. uh, Men need to read Pride and Prejudice. You really should read Pride and Prejudice, though, because I think the like so many of our current rom-com tropes of like the woman who's like smart and she doesn't need a man and like the guy who like seems like he's just like being mean but then you get to have a conversation and realize it's just about his insecurities like that is that starts in pride and prejudice more or less like so much of our modern rom-com tropes start from that point um and i think that's why it's so Mm. like tempting to to adapt over and over again yeah i think there's also something about how uh, the main characters of Pride and Prejudice ultimately um, deepen beyond what society would portray them as that allows this to be adapted to other time periods and settings. Uh, but like, man, 
when the George Wickham character shows up in this in this movie, I was no like, good. they're doing it. He's they're doing no it all. I know. And you're like, how are how will they translate? He Wickham? has an OnlyFans. I'm like, ooh. Yeah. And like in the book, like uh, one of the younger sisters marries him and runs off and brings shame to the family. I was like, what is the version of it going to be in this? And they they pull it off pretty well, I think. So, yeah, I the uh, the I liked the Pride and Prejudice parts of uh, Fire Island uh, more than I liked. Uh, the incident that was sort of sprinkled about it, mostly because for like the first half of the movie, I feel like there's a lot of uh, farce dipping out. Like, um, hey, that's me again. I bet you're wondering how I got here. A lot of voiceover. Then, a lot of voiceover. Yeah, on top of these like interactions with people that are supposed to be like little farcical jokes or like, you know, who's going to take off their shirt on the boat to Fire Island or whatnot. Mixed in with voiceover that's supposed to give us a character dialogue that I think ultimately they didn't need to do so much because they cling to Pride and Prejudice and are able to develop gay male versions of those characters so well that, like you were saying, sometimes it's easier to be like, which one's the book reading sister? Instead of being like, what's that guy's deal? Because yeah. I don't give a shit about that guy's no, deal. No, that, that, that character in particular is really not developed in any way, uh, I guess deliberately. Yeah. But it was uh, otherwise I really enjoyed it. I think towards the end, uh, the sort of mixing in with the idea of like as a gay Asian man who lives this lifestyle, uh, you're just as invisible as like an incredibly smart woman who wasn't going to be interested in society and didn't want a husband would have been in the Pride and Prejudice era. And I think drawing that really works. And I, because the Will Darcy character is uh, so well cast or well played in this movie, um, I'm able to get to it more once it starts doing the emotional untangling. And then I am up for a whole bunch of what I'm sure are very funny generalities about Fire Island, but I've never been or been during a high point in that uh, community. So a, a lot of it also just sort of uh, a lot of the early things, uh, my gears were grinding, trying to figure out exactly what they were going to catch on in order to help me pro- propel forward. Uh-huh. And the, like the weird thing is, I think I, I usually usually I can't I, I'm having trouble pinpointing exactly when this switched for me, but I think it was like actually the first kiss. It's like when we stopped talking about fucking and we actually started putting some stakes on the table. In the in the dance is, floor, like when they almost kiss? Like which, when are we talking about? No, no, when she kisses when he kisses the George Wickham character on the dance floor in the oh, underwear party yeah, or whatever. Yeah. But it's like that's sort of what kicks off the incident of the book. Uh, uh-huh. sl- or the, slash the also the movie. And once that started, I felt like I was off to the races. But yeah. there's a lot of broad defining of characters and as not being part of that community, like I don't know. Is this a good Margaret Cho part or is this a weird dead mother who's way too vulgar just because that's a comedy part, you know? So like balancing those two things for me was odd. And until I had more story to dig my teeth into, I was not into Fire Island. But then like halfway through it clicked. I think uh, while I was watching it, I chatted our little G-chat group just halfway through because I'm like, I don't know what I think about this movie. It's like pretty men are attractive there isn't anybody who's bad at acting i just was having real (laughs) trouble finding my my footing into you know 
I, there was a there's another world version of this movie where I came out at the end and I'm like that just wasn't for me. Mm-hmm. That was fine, but that wasn't for me. I do think it gets there, and maybe it's because it's coming from a, a first time writer. I'm understanding. I think comedian. so. Yeah, and uh, like an independent film director, I could see that this is able to explore lots of things and is limited in sets in a way that uh, you know something like Obi Wan probably wouldn't be because they have an extra ten million dollars. Um, uh, I did enjoy it. Before Patrick just said that, I feel like the generalities about like this character does this and this character does that worked for me better. It was like, here's the club where you go to do this thing. And here is the part of Fire Island that's for these people. And I think that that maps well onto Austin's society where it's like, this is what you're allowed to do. This is what you're not allowed to do. And that's why the story works so well in that world. It made me feel like I got the gist of what this world is and what its rules are so that when the characters are mm. kind of jumping into it, I could like follow it along with them. Um, and that that was where I felt like it did a good job of being like, Here's enough information for you to have to get it, and now we're not going to explain anything else to you, and we're going to go. Wow, um, this is fascinating but I, but, to me okay. because I—I I mean, I guess I just assumed we all had a friend who went to Fire Island by circumstance of just living in New York. Did we not all have a friend who went to Fire yeah, Island? I, think I had a friend who went to Fire and Island, but I wasn't the stories. Like I have, a, I have. No, a, no, that no one's telling you either. Oh good God. Fire Island stories. Well, I'm not. Yeah. I'm not going to uh, commit acts of hearsay here, uh, especially because we're a family podcast. I'm not going to get graphic. Um, <laughs> Because I have a friend who would regale me with tales of of Fire Island exploits, and my word, I um, that I was what not, those I, young men get. Let's up just to, say I did not. There is not a strip my, equivalent to the things that were happening on Fire Island in my experience. Um, and and they they, they cut loose. Uh, Fire Island, the movie, much tamer than the uh, stories that I've heard out of Fire Island. Um, but yeah, I didn't really, it didn't really dawn on me. Like we're, we were getting the general like flyby version of like what real fire Island is. I guess I had more knowledge imbued in me about like what takes place there, which really is like parties and hookups and drugs and alcohol. And yeah. it is, it's I mean, like, I, I knew but all the basic not- that's, but yeah, I didn't know what the like Ice Palace MTV was before Mexico I saw this movie. Oh, okay. Or like the whatever the place where they do the karaoke is. Like, I don't know. I didn't know the name of any of these places or like what. Oh, sure. What like the tea dance is like that kind of like details about what like this pretty, you know, specific. But isn't that how it is? I mean, to your point, I guess it lifts from lifts from like Austin. You know, we don't know what Jane Austen's world was like, but she can parade us make you understand the places yeah yeah exactly exactly exactly. i don't need to know where they are i need to know how it feels to the people who are there and i think yeah i think the most surprising thing about the fire island movie is that it's a real movie and that sounds (laughs) i had to think of obi-wan when i was watching this oh my god this conversation we're gonna have because there is a whole i mean the netflix original movie the netflix original rom-com is now a thing that has spawned off of the lifetime movie in my opinion that like a, they make a lot of movies that are just television that are just like two hours two hour versions of tv where it's like let's have three point lighting that's so basic and just like shoot people and like call it a movie uh i'm talking about set it up i'm talking about the kissing booth movies and the lot of condor movies that i cannot really remember the name of that like uh, to all the boys to all the boys like oh, yeah. these these movies feel like tv episodes they and, and and they're supposed to they're cheap um 
And I guess I thought that when Searchlight was going to start making movies or when it's a Hulu original, even if it's coming from Searchlight, that there would it would kind of feel like a streaming movie. And this does not feel like a streaming movie. It feels like a real movie that yeah. uh, and, Andrew on went out and made it like it has texture. It has visuals. Um, it's a real movie. And what a, what a pleasure it was to see. Joel Kim Booster, who I actually was not super familiar with. I know he's a comedian. He has a stand-up special coming to Netflix soon. I saw in my screener library and um, Bowen Yang of SNL, who that's, I know him from that and Vulture and, and his podcast and culturalistas. And, and I don't know him too well as like an actor, um, but mostly a sketch. And I thought the two of them were like fantastic in, in being yeah, grounded really human together. people who are just being, friends and who are being romantics and who can make this to your point, Dave, like, yeah, there is that kind of hacky voiceover. Hey, here's, well, I'm going to lead you through this story. Um, and, and it's a rom-com trope, but like when they dial that back or when they shift into, we're just in the movie now dialogue. Like I thought the friendship stuff was real and, and Bowen Yang really surprised me. I, I thought he was, I thought it was all like genuine romance and I haven't seen a movie like that, you know, in a long while. Um, and it really has nothing to do with like, Ooh, now gay people get their movie or something. Like, I feel like there's always a narrative when, when a movie like this is made where it's like, Hey, we're going to do something hacky and tropey, but now it's with the gays. And it's like, no, actually this is just a deeply felt funny movie um that's made like a movie and i and and it was a pleasure to watch like i i really enjoyed it start to finish and as you guys have mentioned i have spent a great deal of time on long island as well and uh it has long island vibes man i love that east coast atlantic uh beach and i i, I did spend a lot of time thinking like when did they shoot this was this like early spring so that they could get the beach no, without any I think actual they shot fire it, like, island tourists or like i believe September, it was in september yeah, um, like yeah. My, my coworker Chris Murphy went to the set when um, they were shooting, like okay. right before the season makes SNL sense. started. I guess I was about to say. So, so it's like it might be a little cold when they're in the pool. Yeah, Shrinkage. Exactly. Oh, I like boy. that you're you're praising this for being cinematic, and it definitely is because it was sold as a Quibi series, which is nuts. And there's a really funny and then, joke. There's a funny Quibi joke. <laughs> a nod to Fire Island's origins. A series. Yeah, it's it's pretty sweet. Uh, yeah, I maybe maybe my discomfort with the beginning of the movie wasn't discomfort, and it was floundering because I am straight and I just needed to be plopped into the deep end of the pool before I was like into it. You I, know? Don't, I don't think that you need like I think the voiceover is a is a oh. problem with it. Like there are, there are various points where I think the script just needed like a little bit more finesse. Like there are jokes that could be funnier. There are beats that like land in a weird way. And I think if you're kind of going into this being like, okay, what is going to be in this for me? You can get to that part of it. Be like, this just feels awkward. Is it any worse kind of than like Bridget Jones? No, I didn't like, say that. Another Pride of Prejudice? That, like, yeah. But like, there are parts of this movie that are really, really funny. And then you're like, oh, well, this is what it can do. So like, why did that part just not land the, the way hmm. that it should? I think the voiceover is a problem with that. Um, but I think it, it I think it smooths itself smooths itself out over time, like Dave was saying. Yeah, it's really enjoyable. And you know, I'm super glad that Walt Disney Pictures is able to distribute <laughs> things like this in this day and age. They have uh, a platform. Disney, which you know. like 
Disney, which spends the rest of its time getting just like slammed for like not having enough gay characters and then getting banned from Saudi Arabia for having any gay characters, is also making Fire Island. It is it's also uh, like I here's mean, Fire Island. It's on your streaming service. To be fair, this does not open with the Walt Disney Pictures logo or something. No, is, no, they have not. a division that can make a to movie fair, where a, a guy is like sucking dick on screen. Uh, like there's they, a lot of sex in this movie. Well, there's a lot of Mostly sex with Fire Island by all reports. I, uh, I yes. that's what I yeah, thought no, was. They couldn't have made it without a bunch of sex. I will say, like, this is not a fluffy Fire Island rom com. This is like what I would expect Fire Island to depict, which is like there's sex parties and they're hooking up all the time. It's like it's a pretty frank depiction of my understanding of what going to Fire Island is, is all about. And I, I was surprised and relieved by that because I think it's I mean, these guys know, too. Like, I, I feel like there's probably an autobiographical touch to this movie uh, in, in some yeah, regard. So. But um, yeah, I, I, I like that the movie is realistic. It's a rom-com that doesn't have to be stupid and silly and over the top. Yeah. And dumb. Yeah. Um, it's about real people and wanting to be romantic. And what a relief that is. I really want you to read Pride and Prejudice. My God, I got to read it. Pride and Prejudice. I know I got to I got homework book. or maybe all the adaptations are better before you read it. Maybe you should go back and go watch, you know, watch. get some Finally birth in your time. life. How much dick do they suck in uh, Pride of Prejudice? It's all off screen, unfortunately. Oh, that's really mm-hmm. disappointing. Yeah, really. If, if we get another movie like Fire Island, I think this is the type of movie, unlike like say Judd Apatow comedies, where like I should have seen a penis at some point, comedic or not, I feel like this movie is it, it's weird I didn't see a penis. Yeah, I, th- there aren't any penises are there? No, it's very odd. It is weird, because like, there's you know, there's the, the, the underwear party, like he walks into that room where you just see people having sex in like every possible position, basically mm-hmm. and like I was like, there must have been a penis in there somewhere but I guess not. I don't think it's a penis it's just I mean, there is a scene like, where Joel Kim Booster walks in a room and they're having anal sex. Very. That's what I was just saying. Very just direct. Saying well, no, 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 no. It's not in the sex party scene. It's he goes into a bedroom where it, a well lit bedroom where they're having anal sex. And I was like, oh, OK, great. But yeah, you don't see a dong in there or anything. I mean, I don't know what you need. Why is it? Why is it? It was the first thing I saw in the comedy, but I didn't see any in Fire Island. Maybe it's wow, because penises on screen are. Well, OK, here's here's my theory. Like penises on screen, usually when they're show up in movies, it's for for comic effect like they usually are used as a punchline and i feel like fire island is not invested in that uh version of looking at men so mm, why make a joke about it i mean it's definitely that, it doesn't really make answer. a joke out of anyone i can't think of a joke based on anyone's body in the movie in general like what good looking or bad looking no i mean characters right? make jokes at the expense of other people's Bodies. Yeah, and they like they then they talk about body insecurity in it, which I think is interesting. While I still eventually being like, well, everyone's really hot, so I know I thought that was a, uh, that was an interesting comment right away, like within the first five minutes. They're like, hey, Joe Kim Booster, you are fucking ripped, bro. Yeah, and he pulls his shirt off, bro. and they're like, you don't have to do this. They also make a Kumail ripped joke, which I thought was funny. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of talk about men being hot, and but there is the question of. Are people living up like what standards are people living up to here? Eh, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Everyone's hot. Fuck each other. OK, great. Yeah. The <laughs> question that I asked when we talked about in Little Gold Men with my colleagues who have been to Fire Island, I was like, is it fun to be there or is it really <laughs> stressful? And like the answer I got was both, basically. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's any like party scenario. Like, 
Yeah, just like being spending a full week of everyone in bathing suits where you're just like encouraged to look at whatever how everyone else's body looks compared to yourself. It sounds uh real didn't tough. you have like post prom or beach or like senior week after graduation? You didn't go to the beach yeah. with like the it crew, was horrible. Katie? Do you th- do, yeah, do I want to go relive that time of looking at myself in a bathing suit and looking at other people? I do not. No. Uh especially in my thirties. So I, kept my I shirt get on. the uh, I didn't go to the beach. That's where the dinosaurs are. <laughs> what the fuck true. is wrong with that? Watch out for the water. Go stream Fire Island on Hulu. <laughs> Don't watch it. Watch it with all the adults in your life, but not your parents. That does it for this week's show. We'll be back next week. We're talking about Jurassic Park Dominion in some way, shape, or form. Someone will have seen it. Someone no. will have seen it. Uh, in the meantime, tell the people who you are. I am Matt Patches. I'm the deputy editor of Polygon. I can't remember that because I haven't worked there in a while, but I'm also the father of a newborn son. That's why I'm out of yeah. my goddamn mind. Um, I should, I've should. i been trying to find new podcasts to listen to, and they're all bad. So I wouldn't listen to any new podcasts. I would go back through our archives on fightingintheworm.com. You can listen to all the old episodes. Do that. I don't know if a ton of podcasts. They're anyway, all bad, including matter. yours. All That's all bad, except poop, poop for this one. Yeah, that's true. Well, if you know, if you still like podcasts, you can listen to <laughs> Trial by Content with me and Joanna Robinson and Neil Miller. You can also listen to Dave and Neil's podcast adventure. That's our Patreon podcast. For this week, we're talking about Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure because we're in June, our summer of bromance. You could uh, follow me on Twitter at da7e. You could email us at fitwr.podcast at gmail.com. And since David Ehrlich isn't here, I'll let you know. You could follow him on Twitter at David Ehrlich. He's the chief film critic at IndieWire yeah. and, uh, you know, has other thoughts about things. He has uh, the most followed Letterboxd account, I think. So I'm sure you know what he thinks about movies. Uh, I'm Katie Rich. You can find me at Vanity Fair and on the Little Goldman podcast, where as mentioned, we also talked about Fire Island in some detail. And we're still doing our Pride Month flashbacks, which have been really fun. And we're talking about BPM this week. Remember that French oh, wow. movie yeah, about active sure. activists? Uh, it's great. so good. It's also on a not podcast sponsor, Pluto TV. You can watch oh, it on Pluto we TV. We love Pluto TV. Uh, it's yeah. uh, at the psychotic ad breaks on Pluto TV in a harrowing French AIDS drama really do uh, add, add so much to it. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-A-C-H. And we're all on Twitter at F-I-T-W-R, where I would love, honestly, your Pluto TV recommendations. Or you could answer this week's lightning round question, which was. In honor of Jurassic World Dominion, where's the worst place to find a surprise dinosaur? Thanks for listening, and we'll be back talking to you next week. Keep them to yourself. About you slipping away. I feel you slipping away